0: I'm not sure who you should pray for more, (laughs) a couple of ideas, take your Bibles, go to Genesis chapter 15 with me this morning, Genesis chapter 15, Um, man, it's been a good morning already, Um, Uh, I've been traveling a lot, so I think I'm a little tired too, but that, that doesn't matter, the power of hearing the voices of God's people sing his praises with no reserve, just... Just makes my chin quiver. So thank you. Thank you for, for worshiping the only true God. Thank you for, in your worship, serving me that way. And serving each other so faithfully that way. That was, uh, that was amazing. And I'm going to try not to screw it up, so let's see what happens. Um, like I said, I've been traveling a lot lately. Um, uh, <laughs> one of the things that you find when you travel... Uh, as you find a bunch of people um, travel in different ways. Different things bother them. Some people are bothered by some things, other people are not bothered by. But when you travel, and particularly on an airplane, and uh, you, you have the poor parents who are trying to travel with a munchkin. Um, the flight is only, was only an hour and a half yesterday, coming back from Greenville, South Carolina. Um, I'll share more about that later. Um, but but uh, the, the kid behind me just... I mean, your kids would never be like that, but this one, this one, I, and you did, you wanted, and it was, it was and I, some of it was, okay, it's just a child being a child, and some of it was just like, parents, come on, say no, I'm not preaching, I'm just whining, <laughs> um, <laughs> but, but, but you're cheering for them, right, but that's a different thing, because at some part, you can listen to that and be like, all right, I get it, though right? I get it. It's mud- I, I hate being on an airplane. I'll be careful. Wearing a mask for an hour and a half. Ugh. And then this kid, this poor kid, I mean, you get it. It's a kid. You feel bad for the kid. So they're whining and you feel bad for them. It's like, okay, you, and part of your heart breaks for the parents. Some part of it's like, you, you get what you deserve. But part of it's like, okay. <laughs> okay, come on. But it's a whole different thing when it's a grown man doing it. So I stopped at, uh, and God bless Greenville, South Carolina, and Spartanburg Airport, they have a Chick-fil-A right in the middle. So, amen. So now you know I've had communion this weekend. So I stopped at Chick-fil-A, and I'm sitting there, and this couple, um, and and they're older than me. I'm not going to say they were old, because they weren't old, but they were older than I am, and they came in, and God bless that woman's heart, how she puts up with him, everything was whining. Oh, this, the chair's too high. I can't get my feet. To... There's crumbs on the table. This, and it's just over and over and incessant. And it's like the, the woman was so wonderful in the way she handled him. Now, there was a small problem. While you're eating, you don't need to wear a mask. I forgot I wasn't wearing a mask. So at one point, he made a comment... That I, I won't repeat, because I don't want to, but I just smirked, like the hardest smirk ever, and looked in his direction. Now, with a mask, it's no big deal. With a mask, it looks like this. <laughs> Without the mask, it looked more like this. Um, she saw me and laughed, and I got up and left. So, <laughs> <the> <laughs> It's a whole different thing when an older person, a grown adult, whines than when a little child does. And in Hebrew, uh, sorry, Galatians 15. Sorry, let's try to get a Genesis. There it is. Yikes, 15. You're gonna hear a little bit of gripe, a little bit of whining coming from Abram. So, would you listen and, and read along with me? Genesis chapter 15 says this now. After these events, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Don't be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward will be very great. But Abram said, Lord God, what can you give me since I'm childless and and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram continued, look, you've given me no offspring, so a slave born in my house is going to be my heir the word of the lord came to him again this one will not be your heir instead one who comes from your own body will be your heir he took him outside and said look at the sky count count the stars if you're able to count them and he said to him your offspring will be that numerous abram believed the lord and he credited it to him as righteousness He also said to him, I'm the Lord who brought you from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, Lord God, how can I know that I will possess it? The Lord said to him, bring me a three-year-old cow, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. So Abram brought all these things to him, cut them in half, laid the pieces opposite of each other, but he didn't cut the birds in half. Now, birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram continued to drive them away. As the sun was setting, a deep sleep came over Abram, and suddenly great terror and darkness descended on him. The Lord said to Abram, Know this for certain. Your offspring will be resident aliens for 400 years in a land that does not belong to them and will be enslaved and oppressed. However, I will judge the nation they serve, and afterward they will go out with many possessions. You, Abram, but you will go to your fathers in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, they will return here, for the iniquity of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. When the sun had fully set and it was dark, a smoking Fire pot and a flaming torch appeared and passed between the divided animals. And on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, I give this land to your offspring from the brook of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates River, the land of the Kenites, Kenizzites, Cadmonites, Hathites, Perizzites, Rephaim, Amorites, Canaanites, Girgashites, and Jebusites, Mennonites, Adonilites, you're not in there, okay? So so in this, you you begin to hear... Abram's struggling a bit, yeah? Now remember, just before this, Abram, uh, God had already reconfirmed his promise to Abram, and he said, listen, the, the, the dust that comes as you walk across the land that's going to remind you of what your offspring will be like, there will be that many the, if you count the particles of dust, and as you walk like a conquering general, the land that you walk across, that is the land that is to be yours that I'm going to give to you, and then uh, you know the story. We talked about it last week. Lot is taken captive by King Lamor, as we refer to him, King Cheddar, and all his guys. And so King Cheddar and his guys are then overthrown by Abram. He, he takes Lot and the possessions back, returns the possessions to King Sodom, returns Lot home. All is fine and good. There's amazing things happening. Abram has like, achieved this incredible victory that nobody ever expected. And now he's afraid. How do you know Abram's afraid? Because God told him to stop being afraid. When God says stop being afraid, he's not just throwing words out there. It's not like mama saying, don't don't make that face, just stick like that. God's saying don't be afraid because Abram is afraid. What was... Abram uh, afraid of maybe he's afraid of King Cheddar and the guys returning and 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 having some revenge on him maybe he's maybe he's concerned that when he rejected the gifts that the king of Sodom tried to offer him that perhaps that was this huge insult and he was afraid the king of Sodom was going to come and bring some sort of retribution retribution against him we, we don't know for sure why Abram's afraid but listen to this after great victory comes many times great difficulty You reach this this highest of heights, and things are wonderful, and you have no reason you should be afraid. And suddenly, you wake up in the morning like you're thinking about all the what ifs. It's human nature. And God jumps right into the middle of Abram's fear and says, Don't be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. Unfortunately, as Americans, particularly Americans that live in 2021, when we hear the word shield, we think Captain America. I don't know what else Captain America does, so. (laughs) You think Little Shield, right? But in this culture, in this time period in this historical moment the shield was this ginormous large object that could be linked together with other shields so that when the enemy began shooting arrows at you you would bring your shield up and others would be able to hide under the shield with you it would completely cover you it would protect you from your enemy during difficulty and that is exactly what god is saying to abram no matter what difficulty you're going through i got you abram i'm your shield and he continues and says, your reward will be very great. Your reward, the, 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 the phrase very great is the Hebrew phrase that says it compounds. It just continues to grow on top, on top. And, and, and it just gets to the place where it's exponentially larger than when it began. Your reward is going to continue to grow. It's going to be continuously greater than before and greater than before and greater than before. And do you hear Abram's response? I mean, verse 2, what, what can you give me? This is Abram speaking to the God of heaven and earth, and his question is, what can you give me? You promised me kids. I've got no kids. I have no son the one who's going to inherit everything I be- that belongs to me is this man named Eliezer, a-, a servant who was born into Abram's household. So what Abram is doing, he's beginning to make backup plans for God. And you re- I, I, okay, so I'm, I'm preachy-preachy right now, right? It's like, I can't believe Abram's making backup plans for God. I would too. I'm in my 80s, and 10 years ago, God promised I would have a son, and there is no son yet. It's time to start thinking some backup plans. How can I help God achieve what it is that he has promised for me? Abram's basically saying, listen, God, I've done the math, and according to my calculations, you've overpromised. So at this point, a slave is my heir, and so this is what we're going to do. And, and, and let's be honest, and, and, and God points it out very clearly, your slave is not your descendant. At best, this is a, a substitution that, that uh, in Abram's mind, it'll do in a pinch, but in God's mind, it's completely unacceptable. The, the culture at this time, the acceptable practice at this time was if no son was born to a man and, and there was no carrying on of his name, then, then he would be uh, uh, allowed to uh, adopt one of the servants that was born into his household. And then that adopted son became the heir. He would take care of his parents in their old age, uh, he, he would inherit their possessions. And he would inherit their property at the time that they died. And so that's what Abram is just assuming is going to happen because that seems like a logical backup plan. So at this low point of Abram's life, when he says to God, what can you do for me? This is the best he could hope for. This is, this is if mom and dad promised you to go to Disney. But all these crazy things happened and you ended up at the Frederick Fair. I mean, it's a substitution they'll do in a pinch, but where's Space Mountain? Where's Mickey? That ain't Mickey. It's a dude with big ears and giant feet. The Frederick Fair is a terrible substitute for Disney. Abram's slave, as great as a man he might have been, is a horrible substitute for what God actually intended. That's what God says to Abram about you're thinking too small. Look. Look at uh, verse 4, the word of the Lord came to him, this, this one will not be your heir, instead the one, one who comes from your own body will be your heir. There will be one that comes from your own body, there is no way to interpret this a different way. The literal Hebrew language, this one comes from your own loins, this one who comes from your own body. This one will come and a whole host will come after him. You know how the family tree works. It just continues to grow from there. And and because of this one, ultimately what's going to happen is all nations around the world are going to be blessed because of this one who comes from your own body. Abraham, this is not a cheap substitution. He he continues, I brought you out of earth to give you all of this. What is all of this? Verse 5, he takes him outside and says, look at the stars. Count them. And if it's possible to count them, you'll have more than that, descendant-wise. Here's this land that I have promised to give you. Abram, I brought you out of Ur so that I can give all of this to you. I brought you out of Ur, and I will be your shield, and I will give you a reward that just keeps growing and growing and growing until your mind is blown. And that's when Abe asked his second question. How can I know? And, and actually, I do that disjustice, I think. I think that one is probably a lot like uh, the daddy in Mark chapter 9 who came to Jesus with his son. And he wanted his son healed. And Jesus said to him, he'd be healed if you believe. And the man's immediate response was, I believe! And then immediately after that, it's almost as if it just connects him. I believe! Oh, help my unbelief. I don't know how to believe any better. And I think that's what Abraham's doing here. He's saying, God, I how can I know? How can I believe? I don't know how I can be confident in this. How can I believe I'm this old? She's that old. We don't have a son. How can I believe you're going to do this? We own no land. How can I believe you're going to give it to us? And, and, and Abraham gets told by God, I'm going to cut a deal with you. And he walks through this process of a covenant. So, so let me explain that just a, a little bit for you. He says, "Okay, I want you to take the animals. I want you to split them in half and put them on opposite sides. Enough room in the middle will be left for people to walk through." Okay, so so just, just keep that in mind. And 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 now, as as that is there, the the covenant is made when people walk through it together. I'll explain that a little bit more later. But in in the promise that that God is giving to him, he's saying, "Okay, now now uh, well, the birds of prey are coming to attack the." the pieces of meat that are there, and Abram's trying to get rid of the vultures, get out of here, don't eat this, this is a sacrifice to God, or this is our offering, don't eat this, and, and God says, that, that's, that, that's a point. I want you to understand, Abe. Abram, you, you are going to experience um, 400 years of oppression in a land that isn't yours. 400 years of oppression in a, a land that isn't yours, and at the end of that oppression, I will come and I'm going to judge those who oppress you, and as I judge them, think about it this way as I squash them what comes out of them is all of their possessions and they land in your pocket as you leave and then you'll head to the land that I have promised isn't that interesting that God would talk about some oppressor who would oppress them for what 400 years or so sounds like a familiar story to anybody Do you remember who is the primary audience of the book of Genesis right it's the children of Israel Who just years before experienced that very oppression. Their daddies and their granddaddies and their great granddaddies had gone through incredible oppression. And then God came after they had cried out to the ear of God for deliverance. God showed up and Moses led his people out. And the Egyptians were judged. And as they left Egypt, they said, please take our stuff. That promise originates here. God tells Abram, you are going to die. And then your people will enter into this land that I've promised. Hey, wait. It's not nice. See, that, that's a difficult promise to believe, right? Why? Why, why, why does there need to be time? Why, why do we have to wait? And God gives a very specific reason if you look at verse 16. At verse 16, God says, in the fourth generation, they're going to return here, talking about this land, for the iniquity of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. So so what God is saying to to Abram is the reason that there needs to be a delay is because there is this group of people named the Amorites, and I'm not ready to judge them yet. Think about that for a moment. Israel is is the sole country, the sole nation, the sole people who are identified as being God's children. The Amorites are not, and yet God looks at the Amorites and says, but there's still some fact if you go back to chapter 13 chapter 14 you find some of them one of them uh came from that same general land area named Melchizedek. and then at the end of, of chapter 14 there's these people n- named aner eschol and mamre those are the men of uh, uh of amorite descendant who actually came along and supplied help and resources and assistance to abram and god is saying listen there's still people I- i'm not going to judge them yet I refuse to judge them yet. And I think in Abram's mind, there had to be a wrestling match. Isn't there a wrestling match for you? Isn't there? God, come now and judge. Now. What are you waiting for, God? Have you seen what's going on around here? Judge. Bring your judgment. Rain down your judgment. I mean, I'm sheltered in your shield, so they're in trouble. But come on, bring your judgment. Never prayed that before? I have. Not on that kid on the plane, I promise. Um, Particularly to people who hurt my loved ones. God, would they meet you in an Old Testament kind of way? So why would God withhold his judgment on people who deserve judgment? Is that fair? Ah, the glorious answer to that question, is it fair, is not a chance. Praise God. Because if God brought judgment on those who deserved it, and the moment they deserved it, this place would be empty, including up here. This is, this is, this is a picture of what Peter is talking about in 2 uh, Peter um, where he says, the Lord does not delay his promise. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, the Lord does not delay his promise, as some understand delay, but he is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. But please understand that patience, that delay, does not mean it will not happen. It will, in fact, come. It's the picture of Habakkuk, and I know you're all like, that's not a book in the Bible. Yes, it is. My favorite book in the Bible. I love the story of Habakkuk. And in Habakkuk, you get this conversation happening between God and Habakkuk. And Habakkuk is saying, God, where are you? Don't you see what's going on around here? And God says, I do. I've got a plan. Let me name the most wicked people you've ever heard of. They're going to come in, and they're going to exercise judgment on my behalf. And Habakkuk's response says, okay, you're holy, God. You're good. Are you crazy? Do you know who those people are? They're the most violent heinous people that exist and you're going to bring them in to judge your nation, your people, you're going to use them as a tool in your hand Lord, you must be crazy, and now Lord, I apologize I will sit here and I'll wait for an answer and God's answer comes in chapter 2 it Says the vision. the vision is yet for the appointed time it testifies about the end, it will not lie though it delays wait for it since it will certainly come and not be late. Just to end that story, Habakkuk's attitude changes dramatically as God reminds Habakkuk who is God and who is not. And his last prayer is, God, I pray that you would bring judgment, but in your wrath, remember mercy. God's telling Abram that there are those who need mercy, and that's why the time delay is happening in this promise to Abram. (laughs) Then at the end of it, you have this this dramatic picture as as Abram is asleep. He's in darkness. He is in great terror and anxiety, And, and there's the, the, the animals are cut in half and separated. I will explain that in a minute. Just want to finish this part here. And, and, and then all of a sudden, after God is done speaking to him, uh, this flame, uh, the smoking oven, smoking um, um, fire pot, smoking oven, basically, a, a, and this flaming torch make their way through the animal pieces. And then God begins to speak to him again and says, I will give you this land. But I think we need to make note of something. It's not just I will give you this land. Verse 18 is, I have given you this land. It's a done deal. And the promise is there. So let me me draw this out. Go back to that covenant. you got two pieces here of the animals, right? The picture of the covenant is when you walk through the middle of those pieces, making a covenant with the people you are walking through those pieces with, you are in essence saying, if I do not keep my word, if I fail to uphold my end of the covenant, May the same thing happen to me that has happened to these animals who are cut in half. May a curse come upon me if I don't fulfill my end of the bargain. This is the original contract, and this is where we get the saying, this is where you cut a deal. You would cut the animals in half. You would walk through it and say, that's how serious I am. I will upkeep my end of the the deal. It's interesting, as God is trying to answer Abram's question, how Can I know that God makes a promise that is so significant that you see it renewed a number of times throughout Scripture? This promise doesn't just get made to Abram. It gets made again to Abram, and then it gets made to to Isaac. It gets made to Jacob. It gets made to David. This promise continues to be unveiled before them, and, and, and the picture is this. God cannot swear on a Bible, okay? You cannot swear or make an oath on anything unless it is more authoritative than you are. And there is nothing that God can make an oath on that is greater than him because there is nothing that is greater than him. So as God makes an oath, as God makes this promise, as God brings this covenant, the only thing that he can swear on, the only thing he can make an oath on is himself. So in this moment, God is saying, I'm going to give you the confidence that you need, Abram. I'm going to give you the the picture that you need. I'm going to give you the reassurance that you desire. But there is no way I can do that without pointing to myself. So what God does in mercy and in grace towards Abram is he enters into this covenant relationship with him. He enters into this this man-made process just to demonstrate to Abram that he's going to keep his word. Just to make sure that Abram knows, I am, in fact, your shield. I am, in fact, going to bring your reward. I am, in fact, going to fulfill my word. There is going to be one who comes from you. The land will belong to your offspring. God, God is answering this how can I know question. And the, the idea is that he's binding himself. The one who passes through the, the, the two torn parts of the animal, it's not Abram. Abram's still sitting there in terror, in darkness, The one who passes through the animals, the one who walks through and makes the covenant promise that says, if I don't uphold my end of the deal, may the same be done to me, is God himself. The the picture of the, the smoke and the picture of the fire walking through. Remember who's getting, again, first audience of the book of Genesis, the Israelites who are in the wilderness, who are being led through the wilderness by the presence of God. How do you see that presence of God? You see it in a pillar of cloud? you see it in a pillar of fire. So the first thing they see each morning when they look out their tent is this, this cloud over the tabernacle. The last thing they see before they lay their head on their pillow is this pillar of fire. And now the Israelites hear this description and their eyes widen and they look out of their tent and they see the same presence of God from hundreds of years earlier is the God who has bound himself to the terms of a covenant promise to them. See how seriously God takes his promises? He's willing to enter into a process of man for the good of man. Abram got to see that. You got to see that. How? Because God entered into the process of a man for the good of men. As sinners, we were separated from God. We were totally helpless. We couldn't do anything about that separation on our own. And in His great love, God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, who willingly left heaven and entered into humanity of all things. And he took our curse, He took the curse of sin. And death, as he willingly laid himself on that cross and willingly accepted the nails in his hands and in his feet. And he was crucified. For your sins. For my sins. That cross is where you should have been. And yet willingly, God in flesh entered into humanity and took your place. And then rose again, giving us incredible victory. So, so, so in so doing, what he did was give us a standing with God that is, is not wrapped up in what you did. It's wrapped up in, in what he did. So let me, let me land here. I'm gonna, um, it's a little, little jumbled in my head, so bear with me if I mumble for a little bit. But uh, verse 6, chapter 15, verse 6, is the John three sixteen <coughs> of the Old Testament. It's quoted a number of times throughout scripture, and it's talking about Abram. It says this, Abram believed the Lord, and it was credited to him as righteousness. So so God saw in Abram a belief. He believed God. What does it mean to believe God? It doesn't mean just to uh, understand the the facts about God. It means to take God at his word and live as if you are taking God at his word. And when Abram did that, God gave him a standing that, that Abram's behavior could never earn him. There's no way that Abram could, could achieve righteousness on his own part. Because the Bible tells us clearly, there's none righteous It tells us very clearly that all of our righteousnesses are like filthy rags. Trying to earn your own righteousness is trying to like pogo into heaven. It's not going to happen. I, I don't want to spend a lot of time here. Um... On this one part. So, so verse 6 is not a response to verse 5. Okay, so in verse 5, God takes him out, shows him the stars, and said, Your offspring are going to be like this. Verse 6 is not a. Oh, and then because of that, because Abram looked up and went, Look at all the stars. Wow. I believe you, God. That's not there. It's, it's, it's not a, a, um, a sequential. It's. I'm going <laughs> to. None of you know this. Is, that's all right. It's not a Vav consecutive. Three of us in here might know what a Vav consecutive is. And we're sorry. We're so nerdy. But. In the Hebrew, it's not a vav consecutive. It's, it's not a sequential approach. that this is the, the author Moses, pointing out that Abe's Ab I keep calling him Abe, Abram's faith is a pattern of life. This is what is expected out of Abram. In fact, Hebrews chapter 11 tells us that, that Abram's faith was credited to him earlier than this moment. Hebrews 11, 8, and 9, when he was called, he obeyed, he set out for a place that he was going to receive as an inheritance, and he went out, even though he didn't know where he was going. That, that's what the author of Hebrews tells us was the beginning of, of Abram's faith. And, and so it's not sequential, it's not based on something that he saw, but Moses made it a point to put it right there, right then, for a reason. Why? Because I believe, as did Martin Luther back in the 1500s, I believe in this moment God mercifully and graciously opened up Abram's understanding and opened up his eyes, and that's what was being recorded here. So God, God's reminding him, right? He's saying, okay, I'm going to have Eliezer as my servant. No, 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 you're thinking way too small, right? It's going to be something different, he says in verse 4. Instead, there is going to be one who comes from your own body. One. He will be your heir, and from him many will be blessed. Blessed. And as you wrestle with that, Galatians chapter 3 actually gives us a better understanding of what's happening here. Galatians 3.16 gives us a commentary on this moment. It says, now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say, and to seeds, plural, as though referring to many, but referring to one. And to your seed, who is Christ. When God was shoring up the faith of Abram. When he was doubling down on the promise, when he was making this covenant with Abram, he didn't just say to him, Relax, you're gonna have a kid. Instead, he said, Abram, I've got something so much bigger. I always keep my promises. I always keep my promises. I'm gonna enter into this covenant and you're gonna rely on my faithfulness. I always keep my promises. My promises are always bigger and better than you can even imagine. And I believe in this moment, as God is answering his his whining, God gives him a glimpse, not of what was to come, but God gave Abram a glimpse of who was to come. Here, maybe this will help. John chapter 8, Jesus is speaking to the crowds. And he says, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He saw it. He was glad. He saw it. And there was a smile on his face that was probably difficult to wipe off. There was some measure, and I don't know exactly how much. I just know as you take all these scriptures and fashion them together, as Martin Luther did in the 1500s, as he stood against the Roman Catholic teaching that you can cooperate with God for your own salvation, and instead said, no, 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 salvation is by faith alone. As you trust in God, take him at his word, and live like you're taking him at his word. That's where your salvation comes from. As Martin Luther began to fashion this all together, what he saw was that back in the day, as Jesus said, Abraham somehow saw the day of Jesus and rejoiced because he understood in that moment that what God was doing was bringing from him the seed of the one who was to crush the head of the serpent. And for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, they waited. They waited. They waited. Until one day there was this teenage girl just doing life. Minding her own business. Getting ready for a wedding. And the angel appeared to her and said, remember Isaiah 7:14? A virgin will conceive. Look in the mirror. You're her. And from that moment, the fulfillment of all of the promises of God occurred. Every promise of God is yes and amen in Jesus Christ. See, how how do I know? How do I know you're going to keep your word, Jesus? How do I know that you have got me? How do I know that you are my shield? How do I know that you are going to answer me when I call? How do I know that all things work together for good? How do I know that you are going to supply everything that I need? How do I know that you're going to finish the good work you started in me? Because there's this one who has come, and his name is Jesus. This one who has come, whose name is Jesus, who has has died and put aside all of your sins by covering your sin debt with his blood. This one who is Jesus, who didn't just stay dead. You can't go to his tomb to celebrate him. Because he's not there. He's risen. He lives. And he is the fulfillment of every promise God has made to you and I. God is faithful. Even though we're not at times. Even though we struggle. Even though we cry out with our voices. God, how? How can I know? What can you do for me? There's a couple beautiful moments that happen here. Not the least of which is this. God didn't strike Abram dead on the spot when he asked those questions. Instead, you know what God did? He showed up. He took him outside for a walk. Gave him some fresh air. Had a conversation with him. As the word of the Lord appeared to Abram. The word of the Lord appears to you. Right here. Let's celebrate him. Father, thank you for your goodness to us. Uh, Father, I thank you that you love us in ways that we can't even begin to understand. Thank you that for many uh, as complicated as this can be, that it's quite simple. That you have had a plan from the beginning of time. That you have prepared a way. You have prepared your people. That you fully understood that Jesus Christ would come and save us from our sins. And as we read Scripture, we see that singular story all the way throughout. So Father, thank you for that that blessed seed of Abram that has come to rescue us and redeem us from our sins. Father, I pray that we would remember your faithfulness as we remember the fulfillment of that promise. God, may we rest. Rest in your goodness, rest in your kindness, rest in the fact that we can trust you. It's in the name of the ultimate fulfillment of every promise you have ever given, Jesus Christ, we pray.